One of the hardest lessons I had to learn in my priestly discernment process was that I was good enough. Son of immigrants, working class, alcoholic family, gay, chubby little brownster, crippling fear of responsibility. I had many reasons to point to and say, look, God, I, I think you missed this one here. You've probably got the wrong guy. Like many, I put priests on a pedestal too high to climb. But such was God's quiet insisting that after three years of resistance, I caved and went to seminary. And the rest, as they say, is history. You get the sense that this was not the case with the calling of the disciples in Mark's gospel. In today's reading, Jesus calls Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And all four immediately leave their nets and boats to follow him. Our bulletin's cover art shows a Simon and Andrew caught in mid-crouch or wiping sweat from their brow as white-robed Jesus on the shore calls out and points to heaven. The Jesus in Mark's text is a man of few words. Go to John's Gospel if you want to hear a more loquacious Christ. And he gathers his 12 disciples with an almost brutal efficiency. Time is tight, and there's a lot to get done. It's difficult to imagine anyone leaving their livelihood, their life, with such alacrity. Even though a fisherman's work was hard and subject to chance and weather, it was what they knew and how they fed their family. The only thing I can imagine that would compel these men to drop everything is that they saw in an instant that Jesus was the embodiment of God's love. In a way, they had no choice but to follow. Today is the third Sunday after the Epiphany, and the theme this Sunday is always God's call to us to follow Jesus. Our readings this morning present two examples of how to respond. Implicit in each is the warning that this call will be both inexorable and gripping. Jonah ran away from God's charge to prophesy to Nineveh, hopped a ship in the opposite direction. But there was no escape. A storm arose. They had to throw him overboard to calm it, and Jonah was swallowed by a whale. That set him straight. Our passage today finds him at last fulfilling his assignment, warning the Ninevites that in 40 days they will perish. Because Jonah finally heeded God's call and preached to these people, an entire city and all its animals had the opportunity to repent and save themselves. So which is it going to be for you? How will you respond to God's call in your life? Because make no mistake, none of us is left uncalled. And God is that telemarketer who won't take no for an answer. Part of your task is to discern what Jesus calls you to. But that can come after your yes. Will you drop everything and immediately follow him? Or will you hightail it in the other direction? 
Probably somewhere in between, right? You might profit by considering this viral pandemic that we're in as the whale that has swallowed you whole. Now in its belly, you have time to ponder your next move. God will be there, waiting. One of the gifts of reciting daily morning prayer is that we get to hear the lives of the saints being commemorated on their special day. Last week, we heard some great stories. Fabian, whose day is January 20th, was martyred in Rome in the year 250. According to the historian Eusebius, Fabian just happened to be in the crowd when they were electing a new pope, a layman passing through town, not even ordained. While he stood there, a dove suddenly flew over the people and landed on Fabian's head. In spite of the fact that he was both a total stranger and not even a candidate for election, the people unanimously chose Fabian to be Pope, shouting, He is worthy! He is worthy! (laughs) Fabian was ordained to the Episcopate without opposition. And you know, he did a fantastic job. Until he was martyred in the persecutions under the Emperor Decius. Agnes, commemorated January 21st, was also martyred in Rome, but in the year 304. She was a child, 12 years old, who had committed herself to Jesus with a faith solid as rock. Under the persecutions of Emperor Diocletian, she was tortured, but refused to renounce Christ. To defile her, they stripped her naked and threw her in a brothel so that men could have their way with her but her hair miraculously grew long and covered her entire body. Still, she was beheaded. Every week, we hear these lives of the saints in our cycle of prayer to bolster our own faith and encourage us to stand up and live out Christ's call. Martyrdom for us will most likely be metaphorical, a having to die to our old ways of life that keep us from living into God's work for us. Where will you be when the dove descends on you? The writer and pastor Elton Brown says, becoming a faithful Christian disciple takes both a moment and a lifetime. Christ claimed us in that moment of baptism And the life we lead afterwards is our response to that claiming, to that call. But in case you feel you can't live up to what God asks of you, just remember, even after they were claimed, the disciples stumbled and screwed up. Thomas had his doubts. Philip could never quite grasp that Jesus was the Messiah. James and John wanted the best seats in heaven to the right and left of Jesus. And thank goodness for Peter, who lost his temper, whose faith wavered while walking on water, who denied even knowing Jesus in order to save himself. If Peter can make it, then maybe we can too. But here's the thing. It won't be a tea party. (laughs) You may not be martyred like 10 of the 12 disciples were, 
but you will be changed, transformed, perhaps in an instant like Simon and Andrew, or gradually, like me, over these past 16 years. And your life will no longer be your own, believe me. It will revert to its proper owner. The changes and challenges will be greater, but the rewards deeper. Later in the service, we will sing my favorite hymn, number 661, They Cast Their Nets in Galilee. I love it for its honesty about the cost of discipleship, how it rends your life in two, and yet is what we are compelled to pray for, the strife that is God's peace. The lyrics are by William Alexander Percy, a southern man who lived in the first half of the 20th century, whose tragic family life was filled with suicides and other troubles. The tune itself is fittingly arrhythmic. It does not contain the same number of beats per measure, which sort of goes with the instability of the message. This hymn was sung at my ordination to the priesthood in Grace Cathedral 10 years ago, and its message is for all of us, lay and ordained. We will sing it later, but the final verse is this. The peace of God, it is no peace, but strife closed in the sod. Yet let us pray for but one thing, the marvelous peace of God. In his upcoming book on the nature of evil, the Reverend Gary Cummins writes, if there were a Christian version of Buddhism's four noble truths, it might go like this. One, the truth is that suffering, evil, and chaos commingle with glory, love, and joy. Two, the causes of suffering are personal, social, structural, and cosmic. Human delusions, collective behaviors, institutional grandiosity, and spiritual malice. Three, until the end, suffering will neither cease nor desist. Part of creation and intensified by social ills, we can decrease it when we align our lives with God's will. And four, the path to suffering's transformation is improvisational. Follow Jesus. Share his right loving, right praying, right questioning, right harmony, right anguish, and right joy. In following Jesus, we are not promised an easy path, but life abundant, a life in the assurance of God's love, absolute and indissoluble, despite the suffering, the opposition we will face in the world. As the 14th century Christian mystic Julian of Norwich wrote, God never said that you would not be tempest-tossed, work weary or discomforted, only that you shall not be overcome. 
It's a strange Sunday this time around this year to be inviting you to hear God's call in your life when we've all got foggy COVID brain and can sometimes barely get through a day of hazy malaise. Nevertheless, I wish for you the marvelous peace of God. Amen.